Well, good evening, everyone, and um, thank you again for your warm welcome. Thank you, Scott, for your kind introduction, and it's lovely to be back uh, here at the Crescent, as I mentioned this morning. Lovely to catch up with a number of, uh, I won't say old friends. Brooke, you're not too old, and uh, um, it's lovely to, to be back in this part of the world. Thank you very much. Congratulations again on your 150th anniversary. It's a fantastic story. And I think it's especially nice that uh, this week um, it's been shared with the 150th anniversary of Echoes International, uh, which has been sending uh, thousands of people in mission all around the world. And it was for that reason that it was suggested to me that this evening it might be good for us to uh, focus as the final event of this anniversary on our call to serve in mission wholeheartedly, the encouragement to all of us to give our energies to the mission of God. And we have an album at home, a sort of an old folk album uh, by a, a singer called Judy Sill, and there's a lovely song on it uh, about the vigilante, which keeps saying, he's got his eyes on the horizon and his boots on his feet. And I like that combination. If you were here this morning, we looked at 1 Peter 1 and the foundations for hope, our eyes, on our final inheritance, our journey home. So that's our eyes on the horizon. This evening, we're going to think about what it means to have our boots on our feet. That is, wholehearted commitment to the mission that the Lord Jesus has given us. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to keep open that passage that Scott read to us, the well-known section, the final part of Matthew 28 as we think about wholehearted commitment. Um, I wonder if any of you can remember the occasion when NASA put the first men in orbit around the Earth. Um, it was quite some while ago. I was only six years, I think seven years old at the time, so I don't remember too much about it. But I did read recently that there was a disagreement which took place between the NASA officials and the astronauts. And the disagreement was about the way in which the capsule was constructed. Um, the astronauts wanted to have a window in the capsule. I would have done that too. But the NASA officials, you know, health and safety, they were very concerned uh, that that would be too dangerous. In the end, the astronauts won the argument, and so a small window was placed in the capsule as they uh, swung around the globe. And one cosmonaut from Russia, here he is, his name is Valentin Lebedev, um, he, as he looked out of the window, explained how startled he was by the experience of, of seeing Everest, or at least trying to see Everest, and having difficulty in locating the highest mountain in the world. And a Saudi astronaut who was with him said this, the first day or two we all pointed to our countries, the third or fourth day we pointed to our continents, by the fifth day, we were aware only of the earth. And I read this in a little book called Global Citizens. And it's a book which tries to encourage us to have this kind of vision, to be global citizens, citizens to think globally. And of course, this is really what Echoes International or Langham Partnership or IFES, the student ministry, or so many other mission agencies which are supported by this church and others, and this is really their desire, too, that we should all become global citizens. And I know that's also true 
of, uh, of this church. Well, I wonder how you found things during the pandemic. I've read various comments from different uh, people and agencies, and some people have, have suggested that during the pandemic, our world began to shrink. Um, in other words, we were rather reduced, weren't we, to the four walls that we were quarantined in. And uh, the results, by some missiologists suggest at least, is that uh, with, with the travel restrictions, with the economic meltdown, there's been, quote, a closing of Christian hearts to the urgent spiritual need of those all around the world who need to hear about Jesus. Well, what is significant about the passage which uh, Scott read to us and which we have now before us is its universality. In other words, all the time you'll discover the word all. Quite frequently, that is recorded in Matthew's text. Um, here is what we're going to look at very quickly. Jesus has all authority. He sends us to all nations. He commands us to teach all things. He promises to be with us at all times. And I'm just going to add at the end, Lord Jesus calls all of us. Um, before we come just to walk through those simple ideas which are here in the text, I wondered if you noticed uh, the, the comment in verse 17. On the mountain, the disciples meet with the risen Christ, and Matthew says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's a little bit unexpected. I don't know if you feel the same as I do. Um, here is the risen Christ. Only recently, of course, they'd seen him brutally murdered, and now he is with them, calling them to be with him on the mountain. And Matthew adds, and some of them doubted. Well, I'm not entirely sure why, but perhaps some doubting disciples really wondered if they could be part of what Jesus was now going to do. If they could be part of this mission program. Perhaps they weren't really sure about the call to follow Jesus and what that would mean. Perhaps they weren't sure of this purpose to be caught up in the mission of God. And I, I think it's true that there are Christian believers, perhaps maybe some of us, who sometimes feel like that. We have our doubts. So the idea of wholehearted commitment to, to Christ's mission, well, that's okay for the really super committed. That's okay for the Echoes missionaries. That's okay for people who are multilingual or people who have been well-trained. That's okay for the extroverts, the really courageous types. Not for me. Well, we're going to see that what Jesus talks about here is really vital for all of us, every one of us, and that what Jesus promises every one of us is sufficient for this task. We needn't have all the answers. We need only a life changing encounter with Jesus himself. One writer on these verses says, the best solution to doubt is obedience. So let's hear Jesus' words coming to us freshly in this well-known section as we think about what this wholehearted commitment looks like. First of all, we saw all authority. And there it is in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we all know why this is so important right now, especially in our culture. It's not at all uncommon for people to say to us, well, it's okay for you to be a Christian, 
But don't universalize it. Don't absolutize it. Don't say Jesus is the savior of the whole world. It is quite a challenge to us, isn't it, when people say that. In the UK now, there are 3.3, at least 3.3 million Muslims. And uh, I know the situation is the same in Belfast as it is in my city of Oxford. Uh, we'll see all kinds of people and nationalities and religions beginning to emerge. We know all kinds of uh, challenges in what is, we now call a very plural culture. And many people, of course, adopt the view which I once read some while ago of uh, the former English cricket captain, a man called Mike Gatting, some of you might remember him, and he didn't like these absolutes of, Christian, of the Christian faith, these universals. He said this, I believe in a bit of everything. God, the supernatural, ghosts, superstitions, UFOs, I like to keep my options open. Well, we know that this is the atmosphere in which we are now proclaiming the good news of Jesus, who is the savior of the world. But our society, our neighborhoods, and our schools are very different from even just a few years ago. So it's not unusual at all for us to be challenged about why we proclaim Jesus in this way. So Jesus insists all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Actually, Matthew talks about Jesus' authority on several occasions, you probably remember. Um, earlier on in Matthew chapter, five, uh, Matthew chapter 7, he records uh, Jesus uh, speaking to the crowds, and they were amazed, uh, you'll see it on screen, he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. And then just a couple of chapters on, chapter 9, the healing of the paralytic, underlines something really significant about Jesus. Here it is. It says, so that you may know... Oh, sorry, it hasn't advanced. Let me just click it again. Uh, here we go. Sorry for my... Here we go. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So the physical healing was an act to indicate Jesus' authority over sin. And, of course, all authority here, as Jesus speaks it, is the word of the risen Christ. And we know from elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus has authority over every power of the universe. You just read Colossians to underline that. So Jesus, who spoke God's word, Jesus, who forgave people, the risen Jesus who commands us to go, he has all authority. And probably to Matthew's first readers, that idea of all authority conjured up the image of, uh, of, of the, the king, you know, the victorious military ruler who assures his followers that he has authority, unlimited authority and power. And I think it's very important to see that right at the beginning of this little passage because it is the foundation for our wholehearted commitment to follow Jesus and to obey Jesus and to live for Jesus. He is the one with that absolute authority, that universal authority, which he now delegates out to his disciples. We are sent by Jesus, the King. And uh, when we think about this task of mission, and we've been praying this week, haven't we, part of the uh, anniversary with the Echoes friends here, that. Christians are experiencing challenges of all kinds in the world in which we live. The challenges of very hostile political regimes, 
Uh, the challenge of persecution, which is on the increase, something in the region of 320 million evangelicals around the world facing direct and hostile persecution because they name the name of Jesus, or oppressive religious authorities. There are all kinds of challenges up against the Christian community. But believers are not shrinking from the challenge of Christian proclamation. They're not intimidated by all of these other forces. They know, on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has all authority. And if, like those first disciples, some on the mountain there who doubted, if sometimes we're hesitant, or we sense our own weakness or our own vulnerability or the, the opposition we might also face in our families or in our workplace, then we must look to the authoritative Jesus. Here's something that John Stott wrote in his book on mission, which I like very much. Nothing is more important for the recovery of the church's mission, where it has been lost, or its development, where it's weak, than a fresh, clear, and comprehensive vision of Jesus Christ. When he is demeaned, and especially when he is denied in the fullness of his unique person and work, the church lacks motivation and direction, our morale crumbles, and our mission disintegrates. But when we see Jesus, it is enough. We have all the inspiration, incentive, authority, and power we need. All authority. Well then, in verse 19, the next theme is all nations. This is very well known, of course. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The word therefore, of course, is significant. He's just said he has all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. On the basis of this authority, Jesus sends us out to make disciples of all nations. I don't know if you've ever paused just for a moment to, to think about what, what Jesus is saying here to us. It's not just go and make disciples of individuals. It's not even go and make disciples of a nation. It's go and make di uh, disciples of all nations. And once again, you see there is this kind of universality about it. It is a call to be global Christians committed to reach all nations. And the word Jesus uses, as you probably know, is means reaching out to all of the Gentiles, to every nation, to every people group. And Matthew says several times, including in this passage, about Jesus uh, sending out or, or talking about going to Galilee, meeting him in Galilee. In other words, he's gradually uh, opening up the horizons of, his, of, of the disciples, showing them that there's a mission beyond their immediate circumstance, their Jewish borders, out to every nation. So it's a good question as we think about the, the mission of the Crescent Church 150 years on and what we should be going forward to is whether we have this sustained commitment that Jesus calls us to, to all nations. I know you do. I've been picking up that already. And Margaret and I were very thankful to be part of a church for a number of years down in Exeter. And we had regular prayer meetings, as you do. And there were two men who had been members of the church for a long time and who had a wonderful commitment to what I've just been describing. The first one was a lovely man called Mr. Cook. And in the prayer meeting, he always prayed all around the world, you know, these prayers would go on for about 15 minutes, 
as he went nation after nation. We used to call them Cook's Tours, in fact. And um, another man, a lovely Devonian brother, he also prayed in, in these meetings, and he had a very particular phrase, which I often remember and repeat. And he would get up and he'd say, Lord, we pray for all of the people in the uninhabited parts of the world. We pray for all of the people in the uninhabited parts of the world. Um, of course, God knew what he meant, and we knew what he meant, he was a man who had in his heart a longing that all, all nations should come to know the Lord Jesus. And I, I think that is uh, the thrust, of course, of what the Lord is saying to us. And the good news, as you know, and as we've been reminded this week through what echoes have been saying, is it is happening. It's a photo uh, from IFES, with whom I still have uh, some work, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, we're seeing a huge advance of the church's mission all around the world. It's a wonderful aspect of mission. Everywhere on the planet, this global vision should be in our hearts as we want to see everyone on the planet coming to know Jesus. Um, we're seeing a huge advance with the fastest growing family on the planet right now. There'll be more people in churches today in mainland China than in all of the churches in Western Europe. There'll be more people in Anglican churches in Nigeria today than in all of the people in Anglican churches in the UK, in Europe, in Australia, in Western Europe, and North America combined. It is phenomenal to see how the Church of God is expanding all around the world. And of course, in today's world, serving all nations does not necessarily mean having to travel to the uttermost parts of the earth. It can mean that, but it can also mean crossing the street. Um, I often quote something which Helen Rosevere said. You know Helen Rosevere well here in Belfast, and you doubtless have read her fantastic books. Each of us is called by God, she said, sent out to serve him. It doesn't matter how far he sends you. It might be to your next door neighbor. Distance has nothing to do with it. And she's right, of course. Um, as I mentioned, we're from Oxford. We have at least 100 nationalities just in our small city. You don't need to go very far. And certainly, across the street, we will find those who need to know Jesus. So wherever he's placed us, with the unique network of friendships and relationships he's given us, we have a job to do. We'll find all nations. Perhaps some of us are called to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, but all of us are called to cross the street, as Helen Roosevelt puts it. All authority, all nations, and of course, all things. We find this uh, in verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, what's interesting about this little section in what Jesus has to say is that there is a good deal more to this aspect of being committed to Jesus' mission than simply making converts. If you read it, you'll see Jesus says you must baptize, you must make disciples, you must teach everything which Jesus taught, everything Jesus has commanded. So mission, of course, in which we want to be wholeheartedly committed, is not only the initial presentation of the gospel, but it's the nurturing of disciples. That's 
the, the original command we looked at just a moment ago, bringing people to maturity. And I love the way in which Paul gives his own mission statement in Colossians 1, verse 28. You'll know it well. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ, mature. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So whilst we call men and women to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, John is saying we're also to call them, we're to call one another to be Jesus' disciples. Remember how Jesus defined that? Here it is in John 8. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So a disciple is not necessarily a follower. A disciple is a learner. Someone who is going to listen and obey, hold on to Jesus' teaching. And this, of course, is essential all around the world. Um, I'm sure that Chris Wright, who is a good friend of ours, who who's, uh, was here last weekend, would have said a little bit about this in terms of the mission of Langham uh, and many other agencies as well. Because we know that uh, around the world, the church is growing rapidly, as I've mentioned particularly, of course, in the majority world of Africa and Asia and Latin America. And when I was born, uh, not too long ago, uh, the, the uh, proportion of believers here in the north was about 75% of the world Christian population, and about 25% in the global south. Just during my lifetime, the whole thing has turned completely on its head, so that now we here in the north are about 25% of the world's Christians, and in the global south, it is now at least and growing 75% of the global church, the majority world, we say, because that's where the majority of people are, and now that's where the majority of Christians are. Um, yet often, one of the big challenges in that part of the world uh, is that the uh, commitment uh, to Christ, it's wonderful to see the numbers, but sometimes uh, the discipleship, the teaching, the understanding is, is a little thin. In actual fact, this is increasingly the case here in the north as well. It is really important that we encourage this growth to maturity, to discipleship, to growing up into Christ. Um, it's changing, of course, all around the world. I'll just give you one simple example about this all things. Uh, whilst I was with Langham, I had the opportunity to work uh, with friends in North India. And uh, they had a remarkable mission in Uttar Pradesh, a huge state in northern India, where they were aiming to plant churches. It was an almost military operation. And about a thousand young people were being equipped to be church planters in the villages there in North India. And so every month, they brought together 1,000 church planters from all over the state for one full week to look at a Bible book. Uh, when I was there, we were looking at the book of Acts. And uh, in Uttar Pradesh, uh, where they were planting so many of these uh, churches, they brought all of these people together in order to create that sense of discipleship, that sense of maturity. And I was so impressed, I said to the leaders, well, that's a major investment. One week, every month, to bring together a 1,000 people, hundreds of miles from all over the state, one week a month, why do you do that? And he said, well, it's, it's obvious. Most of these young people have been converted from a Hindu background. They have a Hindu worldview. 
Now they're coming to know the Lord Jesus, and now that they're planting churches, they need a biblical Christian worldview. So one week, every month, looking at a Bible book so that then they can go back to their villages and they can begin to teach God's word. This is up in Uttar Pradesh. They can teach God's word where he has placed them. Well, that is the kind of commitment which we see all around the world. And I only underline that because there is no room for a, a kind of false polarization between different types of, of mission engagement. In other words, we do need evangelists. We need church planters. Uh, we need Bible teachers. We need pastors. But we also need Christian medics, and we need Christian teachers. We need Christian businessmen. We need Christian politicians. In all of these ways, God's people can serve him in this commitment to teach everything that Jesus has given us. Proclamation of the gospel is right at the heart of our calling, of course, but our mission expands over everything which Jesus said, taught, and commanded. All authority, all nations, all things, always with you. Um, yesterday, some of us were meeting in the lead program and we reminded ourselves of, of exactly what I now put up on the screen. Verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And how important that little phrase, that little promise has been to many of us here, I'm sure, and, and to many believers all around the world. Um, you, you know that Matthew's Gospel begins with this idea as well. Do you remember in sort of the, the nativity stories, uh, the assurance that the baby born in Bethlehem would be Emmanuel, God with us. And here, right at the end of the Gospel, is exactly the same assurance. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I've met so many believers uh, who, like myself, have found this to be such an encouragement and motivation in terms of our wholehearted commitment to serve the Lord. Nothing that we encounter, as I've said already, no opposition or persecution, uh, even the fierce attacks of Satan himself, none of those things are bigger than the resources which Jesus brings to us in his presence. And we have to say, well, this is the, the confidence that led those early Christians to turn the world upside down, as we discover in the book of Acts. It's important for all of us. If we're going to be wholeheartedly committed to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in what is an increasingly demanding culture, where we're swimming against the tide, if we're going to do this, then we also need to hear Jesus say to us, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, it's a theme all the way through Luke's account of how the gospel advanced. Uh, I wish I could put up lots of examples. Let me just put up one or two. Do you remember when Paul was in Corinth? The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. Or do you remember when he was uh, on board ship, it was in the middle of a typhoon, it's a fantastic story in Acts 27. And all of the people on the ship were absolutely terrified. And he says to them, to all of the passengers in Acts 17, so Acts 27, 23, last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. It's a lovely phrase, by the way, the God whose I am 
and who I, whom I serve. The one to whom I belong, the one to whom I'm committed. And do not be afraid, Paul, the angel stood next to me. And finally, at the end of his life, you know the lovely section in 2 Timothy 4, um, he's close to being martyred, he's in a Roman prison, he's uh, lonely, isolated, cold, and this is what he says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. This is the experience of God's people, that what Jesus promised there on that mountain to the disciples is exactly the case for us too. So I don't know your circumstances or what God is calling you to do. I just have the suspicion that you're like me, and that is so many times we feel our weakness and our vulnerability or our uncertainty about this commitment to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. And therefore we need to hear exactly that truth. I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, whatever it is that we encounter. I remember when I was with IFES uh, receiving a lovely email from a friend in Sierra Leone. He was, uh, uh, the country at the time was in the midst of civil strife. Um, he'd lost uh, some family members and some of his possessions. Uh, and he said in his email this, if it will, here it is. The only security that we have is our salvation. And the only assurance we have is knowing God's presence, that which no man can take away from us. So if you know that in your bones, you can take on whatever it is that God asks you to do. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority, all nations, all things, always with you, and finally, all of us. This call to wholehearted commitment, the call to mission, is something that embraces every part of us. Um, here I'm going to try and risk telling you a joke. And um, it's a risk because it's a joke from Spike Milligan. Certainly my wife doesn't like him, but his unusual sense of humor, and it appeals to some wacky people like me. And on one occasion, Spike Milligan was on a train and someone recognized him as this famous comedian. And he said, oh, Spike Milligan, nice to meet you. And, they, and the person said to Spike Milligan, where are you from? So Spike Milligan said, London. And the person said, oh, which part? And he said, all of me. <laughs> and it's, it's a good answer, I like it. Because uh, this is exactly what I now conclude with this evening. What is it that God wants of us? Well, he wants every part of us. He wants all of us. He wants our whole person. He wants every aspect of our lives to reflect his glory, to serve his purpose. Um, as you know, I, I'm, uh, for many years, I've been involved with the Keswick movement around the world. And one of the great things about that movement has been the call to wholehearted commitment to mission. Um, a friend of mine did a little bit of work uh, researching the kinds of things that had happened over the past 150, nearly 150 years. We're just behind you in terms of the uh, anniversary. And uh, he, he dug out a story from 1905 where a remarkable woman, a German missionary, uh, spoke at a women's meeting in Keswick. And she described to the women there how she felt constrained to dispose of all her possessions 
for the cause of Christ. And the only things she held on to were a ring and a small clasp, which she held on to for sentimental reasons. But when she was there at that meeting with those hundreds of women in, uh, in the English Lake District, she said, the Lord is now impressing upon me the needs of the lost. So while she was speaking, she took that ring and the clasp, the two things she'd held on to, and she put them on the table as a little sort of acted symbol of wanting to be wholehearted. And the remarkable thing my friend discovered uh, from digging out these archives was that woman after woman came forward in that meeting to place watches and coins and rings and other things on the table. Now, I'm not suggesting that is what we're necessarily called to do. What I am saying is that that was a kind of acted symbol at that event of people who felt that movement to be wholehearted, all of me, every part of me. As I close, I think it's also true to say we must add every one of us, that all of us includes everything about us, but also every person. The call to this commitment is not just for a few people in the Crescent. It's not just for a few Echoes missionaries. It's not just for, as I said right at the beginning, the special elite. It's not a call for the few. It is for every one of us who name the name of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is it. This is what it involves. And it's a mission to all, for all. Um, I was involved in a Lausanne uh, conference, uh, an online event, uh, just a few months ago, and uh, Michael O, who works for the Lausanne movement, spoke about two significant uh, numbers that have been driving some of the work of the Lausanne movement for world evangelization. One of them is the year 2050, which I won't go into now, but it's a significant year in terms of the projections of uh, Christian mission, of economic status, and various other issues. But the other figure that really matters to them is the figure... 99. And the reason for that is this, I put him up. For too long, the church has felt either excused or excluded from this great commission that we've just been looking at. That is 99% of the church. And that's the 99% who are not ministers or missionaries, which is probably the majority of us. So he goes on. We believe that one of the secrets to the fulfillment of the Great Commission is the unleashing of the 99% for their ministry across the globe. That's all of us, he is saying. All true believers around the world. And of course, some of us here might be called to change direction and to become missionaries, to go to another city or to go to another part of the world. Um, some of us may have that opportunity as we grow older. Uh, you probably know one of the big mission movements at the moment is amongst uh, my generation. So there are more and more people who are in their 60s or their 70s or their 80s who, because they now have uh, new opportunities and sustained health and financial capacity, are out there serving the Lord in new ways. It's called Goals in Extra Time. And it's a fantastic movement all around the world. But I want to say again that it's not restricted in any way to those who are out there engaged in that kind of work. In fact, I give one other and final illustration, which is Margaret's father, my father-in-law. Um, 
he was a lovely believer, and he came to live with us because he had a muscle-wasting disease. And he lived in our house uh, for 13 years, I think it was, and um, he couldn't really move outside. He could move within the house just about, but he couldn't go out. And so for 13 years, he stayed in our little home in Oxford. But the remarkable thing about uh, this man was that he was a global Christian, a global citizen. And he sat in, he called it his electric chair, actually it was a little riser chair, you know, one of these riser chairs. And uh, he sat uh, every day in that chair, and he had a little pile of magazines, including the Echo's list of missionaries, and he asked us sometimes to print out emails of people from different parts of the world. He prayed. I don't know how many hours a day he prayed for, but here was someone who was fulfilling that wholehearted commitment to Jesus' mission. So I include him because some of us will, will be thinking, oh, it's, it's their job, you know, it's someone else's job. It is all of us. It is every part of us, and it is all of us. So here we are, dear brothers and sisters. Jesus has all authority. That's the incentive and the motivation, the authority that we need. He sends us to all nations, without any exception. We are to teach all things. We are to make sure that all people grow as disciples, as part of the mature uh, congregations. He is, he is promising to be with us at all times, and he calls all of us. Well, as I said right at the beginning, we are to be global Christians. And here is uh, David Bryant's definition of, uh, he calls it a world Christian, a global Christian. A world Christian is someone who is so gripped by the glory of God and the glory of his global purpose that he chooses to align himself with God's mission to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. The burning prayer of the world Christian is, let the peoples praise thee, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise thee. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, at the close of this uh, lovely week where we've reflected on your goodness and mercy to believers here at the Crescent and previously in other places over 150 years, we're so thankful for your goodness to us. And it's right that as we close this, we want to have our eyes on the horizon as we look forward to Jesus' return, as we look forward to being there in the new heavens and the new earth, but also that we have our boots on our feet, that until that day, we're not going to sit back, we're going to be wholeheartedly committed to the Lord Jesus. So dear Father, thank you for sending your Son, the Lord, to be the Savior of the world. And thank you for the privilege of knowing him. And thank you for the opportunity to join in his mission to go and make disciples of all nations. So we ask you to empower us by your Holy Spirit to provoke us, every one of us, to be wholehearted in our commitment to the Lord and to serve him wherever he sends us. We ask this for his glory and in his name. Amen. <laughs>